and welcome to Anchored in Hope. And as we come together, we focus on the reality that Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God, came to bring the world hope when it was lost in darkness. And that the God of the universe loves us so much that he gave us his only son. And Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to take away our sins, is our hope So no matter how bad the day gets, no matter how much of a struggle you're going through now, Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, is your hope. Embrace him. Cling to him as if he's your very life. You know, again, that's what it means to be saved. I once heard the analogy I loved. It's like you're drowning and someone comes in to save you and you're just about ready to go under the third time and die. And then when this person comes, you would cling to them as if your very life depends on it. That's what we got to do with Jesus. We got to cling to him as if our very lives depended on it because they do our eternal life. So let's begin by praying. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Great God of love and mercy, hear us as we come before you once again. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we may truly live in your will, and we may know your will and do your will. Father, help your Spirit take such control of us that we no longer live, but your Spirit lives inside of us, and, and that we live for one purpose, to please you, and to do your holy will. Father, we beg you these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, again. Amen. Again. Amen. Okay, well, welcome, as I've said. Uh, what we do still for a little bit more, I don't know how much longer I'm going to keep in this format. Again, I think I'll do this once a month, but we're going to get out of this format and start interviewing people. I've been talking about, I've been waiting for things and waiting for things, but we're just going to go ahead with all that stuff now, and uh, we'll just start doing it as best we can. God's in charge, and God will lead us and guide us. And so, uh, imperfectly, as if you haven't figured it out yet, everything we do on Anchored in Hope is imperfectly, which is okay. For me, anyway, for me to keep doing it. So uh, just the best thing to do, if you want to answer, have me answer a question, just type it under the comments on the side on YouTube, and then I'll see those live, and I'll get to as many of them as possible. You can also send letters to the foundation and questions to the foundation, and it's what here, and I'll go back and forth and uh, until I fill everything online, and then we'll go on to the emails. Okay? So... With that in mind, let's begin. Okay, and again, let me just be clear again, because sometimes you guys don't see them because when people write nasty things to me, and again, they do, and you're leading people astray, Father, and they call me Larry, and, you know, if you were a true Catholic, I mean, it's, it's, it's horrendous what happens. And so I delete them. I only read part of it because I take all that upon myself. But again, I am always just preaching as best I can with this knowledge that I have after 32 years of being a priest uh, and trying to lead you and answer in best of uh, best of faith. So when someone says to me, like, I'm leading people astray, 
That's not my intention. And if, uh, if that's what I do, again, I'd ask you to make sure you send that to me, where it is, how I messed up, and do it respectfully. Because sometimes we're always looking to be offended and we're just waiting, ah, I got him. And then we, and what is that? You know, we're supposed to support one another in the body of Christ. Now, if I purposely ever teach anything that's apart from the teaching of the church on purpose, then I'm going to hell. It's just that simple. So I might make mistakes. Yes, of course. But again, I, I will acknowledge those things because I only want to preach the truth as the church teaches it, but not as some people want to interpret it. That's half sometimes the problem. Or out of context, where we take something from, you know, uh, Trent, and we say, this is what it says here, and not to let them be an anathema, which doesn't exist anymore, but still, a penalty doesn't exist. But again, we'll take all those things and we'll take them out of context. What about this, Father? You said this. I once had a seminarian did that to me and they, they quoted me and how I was wrong and leading, I was doing a retreat and they said I was leading, uh, I was teaching something contrary to the faith. And so I thanked the kid for, and he was, wasn't just graduated from college. Uh, I thanked the kid for, oh, no, he was just graduated from high school. I thank the kid for being so open to truth and wanting to know truth and making sure he stayed faithful to the truth. And then I put what he said in context from Trent. And then I went and I quoted all the Vatican II documents that went deeper than Trent did. Still the same truth, but it just went deeper. And how I, you know, talked about this and what was necessary and uh, didn't even respond to me. You know, it was like, uh, you have nothing to say, Father, because I already think that you're a heretic or I'm a liberal or whatever. And I'm thinking, okay, what, whatever that is. You know, and so, uh, again, I'm just trying to do the best I can. Uh, that's all, you know. So I'd encourage you, if you're watching, just to find out what's wrong. I can tell you all those things <laughs> that are wrong. There is also a big thing that went crazy about the need to confess more past mortal sins. Again, if you have not confessed something and you knew when you did it that it was a mortal sin, you need to confess that if you purposely withheld it. Of course, you need to confess it. Now, again, if you did something like you had sex before marriage 30 years ago, and at that time, you had no idea it was a mortal sin, listen, to commit mortal sin, you need serious matter, full knowledge, full consent of the will. And that's during the time, the moment the sin is being uh, acted on. So if you didn't know it, if you didn't have full consent or full, uh, you had no, uh, you did not have uh, the knowledge of that, you can't take what you learn now and put it back 30 years. You understand? What you did was seriously wrong, but wasn't mortally sinful because you didn't know it wasn't mortally sinful. In the Catholic Church, ignorance of the law is an excuse. It just is. Again, teaching of the church to commit a mortal sin, you must have all three things present. Serious matter, full knowledge, full consent of the church, I mean, full consent of the will. And so those are, this is as old as tradition gets. This is the teaching, very solid teaching in the church. If one of those things is missing, what you do is not a mortal sin. It's still serious sin, meaning that objectively it's a serious sin. But you need to know it and you need to do it the free, full consent. Full consent. Full consent of the will. Again, this is nothing new. Now, people have their own uh, 
bents on this. But so when people start saying, well, you know, I read or I was listening to another priest that same day, Father, that said the exact opposite of you, whatever, I forget where it was. And a couple people, yeah, I heard that same priest. Okay, I want to always sit there and teach you objectively what you have to do. Now, again, when you, if you confess all sins, when you're given absolution, it covers everything, right? Unless you purposely withhold a sin. If you purposely withhold a sin, every time you go to confession, it's none of your sins are forgiven. That's just a given. But if you forget, God is not an ogre. So later on, you bring it up. If you purposely uh, knew that you committed mortal sin at that time, yes, you bring it up and confess it. But you can't put on into the past your intention for today. Like, well, 30 years ago, I didn't know. Okay, it wasn't mortally sinful then. Okay. So again, just to give a, a little thing, I'm not being um, uh, teaching something, uh, you know, that's not true. You know, <laughs> people, people have different perspectives. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, you can find other priests that completely disagree with me and say, I don't buy that. Okay. Well, I always say, well, uh, give me the teaching of the church, show me where it's at. And again, I will recant, you know, I'll just, of course I will. So just so you, just so you know, let's get that all out of the way. Now let's go here. Okay. During confession, should the entire prayer of absolution be said by the priest or does a simple, I absolve you of all your sins suffice? In an emergency, I absolve you of all your sins would suffice. But the priest should always say the words of absolution. Just like, you know, when they were going through all that, that a couple, like a year ago when they found out that priest wasn't baptized because uh, the deacon or the priest that baptized him didn't use the exact words. So again, if you're going to be one who follows the uh, rule of the church, then you have to say the words of absolution. You know, now again, in an emergency, if I'm, you know, literally someone's dying or something's happening, I absolve your sins, God will supply with that. But in confession, the full absolution formula should be used. Okay, thanks for asking that. Now, Father Larry, can you explain to me why the words in the Lord's Prayer lead us not into temptation? I would not think God would lead us into temptation. Thank you. Yes, and, and Pope Francis dealt with this. And if you remember, everybody went crazy. It's, oh, he's going to change the Lord's Prayer. You can't change the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> and again, it just shows the ignorance of people who would say something like that. First of all, this is the, uh, the uh, English translation of something that was spoken in Aramaic and then first written in Greek. That's why, if you ever notice, different translations of the Bible translate the Lord's Prayer in different ways. It isn't always the same. So Pope Francis, a couple years ago, says that's not what it means. Because James is very explicit saying that uh, the devil does not, uh, God does not lead us into temptation. He can't do this. But what he's saying is, is the Lord is asking us, again, I just wrote a whole book, on the Lord's Prayer. And as we're sitting there dealing with this, we're asking God to not allow us to be put in places of temptation, and I won't allow that. Like, for instance, when I was a college chaplain, I would sit there, if kids were struggling with having, being impure with their boyfriend or girlfriend, I would say to them, okay, this is what I want you to do. 
you're never allowed to be in your room alone. The door is never allowed to be closed without putting a shoe or something in there. The door always got to be cracked. Why? Because as soon as you close the door, you're putting yourself in a near occasion of sin. So we always sit there and we, we uh, to avoid the near occasions of sin is what we say in the act of contrition, right? So we're asking God to not allow me to put, put in a place where I can be tempted. Okay, so it's just a, it's a switch on the words. God does not lead us into temptation, but he can preserve us from staying away from those places we fall into temptation. So again, we're asking the Lord to take full control of my life. And so if I'm in control of my own life, I run after temptation sometimes. Even me, that's still the reality. But if God is leading and I'm following him, then I'm not going to be ever led into temptation. I'm always going to be led in his will and in his holiness. So part of it is, am I, Lord, give me the strength to stay following you and give me the strength to avoid doing things my way. It's another way of saying this. And again, it's the translation. And if you ever want to do explicitly deeper, I always say you go to Father Mitch Pacwa on EWTN and he knows everything. I have said this for many years and I don't mean that in a funny I, of course, pick on him, but at the same time, it's true. <laughs> He'll be able to tell you where it comes from the Greek and all that stuff and what it really means. And so again, please, uh, I'm glad you asked the question. It's a good question. God does not lead us into temptation. We're asking the strength to stay away from temptation. Okay. Hi, Father Larry. Hi, this is from Daryl Welsh. Regarding the prayer of St. Michael the Archangel, I was wondering how an angel can be declared a saint. It seems confusing since I thought saints were humans. Of course they are. Saints are people in heaven. So almost all, all the angels except for the fallen angels would be saints. You know, the Blessed Mother, we call her St. Mary, another St. Mary's church, but she's beyond a saint. Of course she's saint, but she's the mother of God. Of course she is, though. So again, some people call in the Old Testament, someone wrote a couple uh, uh, weeks ago about one of their things is can is there old testament saints and yes like a lot of times you'll see saint david for king david saint david king david uh so the people who always strove to strive to do god's holy will and by definition an angel uh would also be one in that category so it's not just a, a person but it couldn't be also the angels also good question thanks for asking okay here we go here we'll go back here Oh, thanks for all these uh, highs there. It's good to hear from you. Chris Walker. Did you see that there is a plenary indulgence on July 25th for praying for your grandparents? I did see that. That's very good. Also, do you know if, any, if, if you have actually earned an indulgence? Well, again, you don't. You trust in God in that. Now, Pope Francis uh, just yesterday or the day before uh, put out that he's given a plenary indulgence if you pray for your grandparents and that on the uh, feast of Joachim jo and Anne, Joachim and Anne, July 25th, because they were the grandparents of uh, uh, Jesus, of course. And so I always, uh, they're the, the mother and father of the Blessed Mother, of course. So what we, uh, what he did was just, he really wants us to pray for grandparents. And I'm so happy because um, my grandmother in so many ways raised me. She was the, the lady of my life. And my grandmother, like all my family, as I've told you before, my uh, family's like um, 
uh, Roseanne on TV, but my family was much worse. I mean, we scream at each other. We screamed at each other. I was growing up that way. We never apologized to each other. We just got over things. The first time I ever heard the F word came out of my grandmother's mouth when she was in her late 70s, and I'm a kid, and I had no idea what she said. You know, But my grandmother at the same time would do a holy hour every night uh, using the novena to our Blessed Mother, uh, rosary novena she always would pray all these prayers and so that's why i always i'm a big one about holiness is being real you know it's just real people striving with all their heart to do god's holy will you know and sometimes that's quite easy and sometimes it is very very hard huh? often i constantly want to do my will and i want to have things done my way and I get crazy when things aren't. And, uh, but every time I pray the Lord's Prayer, I'm saying, not my will, but yours be done. I'm saying, God, I want your will. And that's what he does. Like today, there was so many things out of my control today. It was, today was a completely out of control day. One thing after another, after another, after another. And the only thing I can do when things get like that, when I want to, okay, this is what I'm going to do, boom, boom, pull everything together, it's the only thing I can do is say, Okay, God, you have a different plan than I do. This isn't going to be an easy reality. Why don't you let it just be easy? I surrender to you. I surrender to your will. You know what's best. You know what's best. You know, even uh, like I, I was showing, I had lunch with somebody. And so when everything was driving me insane today, it was funny because I, I went to post my uh, my uh, morning and the, um, yeah, my homily today on Facebook. And as I go, I usually just post it and get off because I don't want to do anything. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to get irritated or anything else. And sometimes I can. But this is, this is the thing that I pulled off today. Be so confident in God's plan that you don't even get upset anymore when things don't go your way. And I said, oh, shut up. Okay, God. Uh, but that's always the struggle, huh? Who's going to be in charge of my life? Me or God? It gotta be God in absolutely everything we do. Period. Period. Comma. End of all paragraphs. Okay. So, I know. There you go. So when it comes to that, uh, you don't know. But if you do all the things again to come uh, to get a plenary indulgence, you have to go to confession. I think uh, it used to be less, but I don't think it's 10 days before or 10 days after. You have to go to receive communion 10 days before or 10 days after. It could be less. It used to be like uh, four days. I don't know, but. Last I read, it was 10. And then uh, you got to pray for the intentions of the Holy Father. That's why all these people would hate the Holy Father and won't pray for his intentions. You can never get a plenary indulgence. Isn't that something? And then uh, you sit there and you got to uh, have no attachment to sin, even venial. And again, that means when you go to confession, you say, I firmly resolve with the help of your grace to sin no more. That's what you mean. Doesn't mean you. I'm going to try to sin no more. Nope, it means you're going to sin no more. That's not attachment to sin, even venial. And so that's what necessary. And then you can get a plenary, a plenary indulgence, which is full remission of all confessed sin for yourself or for someone who is in purgatory. You can get them out of purgatory that very moment if you get a plenary indulgence for them. So I always say, don't waste it on yourself. God will take care of you. Put it on someone who is uh, in your family you can begin. 
And then you can go deeper for your enemies. You can go deeper for uh, the unknown poor soul who needs it the most right now. And you can really be really be in a co-redeemer with Jesus in a very good way. It's all him, but you're taking what you're doing and you're offering up what the church is giving you for the good of someone else who is suffering right now so dreadfully. And you can offer that up for them and get them out of purgatory and get them into heaven. And one of the things that I was taught as a kid, every parish, like my, my parents didn't go to mass, but my grandmother was, she was my godmother and she'd also pick me up every Sunday and take me to mass. Uh, every Sunday. And uh, when we got to the church, it was old St. Patrick's in Pittsburgh. We'd always light two seven-day candles. And in those days, they really were seven days. But anyway, we would write the two, uh, like two of them. I'd say, I remember that I asked her, we're lighting the candles. And I said, Graham, why do we light two candles every week? And she says, one for your my great grand great grandparents, which have been her parents and her great and her uh, grandparents, and one for the, all the poor souls in purgatory, because she says if we get one of the poor souls out of purgatory, then they go to heaven, and now they're a saint, and they pray for us because it was our prayers that got them out of purgatory. You know, our uh, plenary indulgence or our prayer. And I go, ah, that's a great thing. So I often think, offer it up for someone who you don't know after you've taken care of your family and everything else, then start offering up those indulgences. You can only get one plenary indulgence a day, but boy, you can get 365 every year. And this year, again, during the, the uh, Feast of Saint, the year of St. Joseph, you can get them every Wednesday by praying these uh, litanies or different things. But also, if you say the rosary in public, you can get a plenary indulgence. If you make the Stations of the Cross, you can get a plenary indulgence. It's uh, all in that book, Echideron of Indulgences. And it'll tell you all the things. The Echideron of Indulgences will tell you all the ways. And I'm sure if you just look it up and say uh, ways to get indulgences, it got to be on the webs uh, somewhere. And that would help you in the midst of all those things. Okay, good uh, thing here. So this is from Karen. Hi, Karen. And it says, how important is it to visit my deceased family members at the cemetery? I live in Ohio and my father is buried in Florida. I only get to the cemetery once a year to visit him. How can I honor him without going to the cemetery? Also, when I do go to the cemetery, what prayers should I say? Okay. It's just their body. It's the place where God dwelt. That's why we bury it. But like in my family, we're always taught we never visited... Uh, people in the cemetery much I still do but it was I remember my mom said they're not there and that's very true your parents your grandparents everyone that's in the cemetery they're not there 100% not there they're either in glory and purgatory or they're uh, god forbid in hell so but they're not there so you can, like I tell people, you got to make sure that you get to know your family as they are now, not as they were. So like, again, my dad's been dead for uh, like 38 years. And yet I'm closer to my dad today than I ever was when he was here. Why? Because my dad sees the face of God. I know that because he got the last rites right before he died. And so he sees the face of God. So every time I have communion today, I have communion with my father. Now, he's buried in Houston, well, in Katy, Texas. And every time I do a parish mission or something, I was just there uh, two months ago in Mission City outside of uh, Houston. I always make it a point to stop at my father's tomb, and I always take flowers, and I always put the flowers there to honor his memory, knowing that as I do that, my dad isn't there. 
but I want to honor his memory. So whenever you get a chance to go, go. But, you know, the greatest thing you could do for your father is have masses said for them because that's the perfect prayer of Jesus Christ. And part of the problem I see today is kids don't haven't learned about how important a mass is said to have a mass said for someone who has died. You know, I have at my parish, you know, everybody knows very clearly after me being there 19 years, everyone deserves a mass. And I've said I will never sit there and just go to a funeral home if the person was Catholic. You know, I can send a deacon for that. But you don't need a priest. But then I always, like I once had, and I've done this more than once, a person called me and their mother went to daily mass. And they says, uh, our mom died. Okay, we're going to have a, a funeral service. I, oh, no, you're not. What? Your mother went to daily mass. You're going to have a mass said for your mother. She's going to have a funeral. Okay, Father. It was just that simple. In fact, uh, you know, uh, there's a, a great friend of mine is the auxiliary bishop in San Diego, uh, Bishop John Dolan. And uh, when he was a pastor, he had a thing that uh, it was a sheet of paper that he would give uh, to his people that they could put on the top of their will. And it would say, nothing can be done with the will until I have a funeral mass. So it was right on the top of the will that the, the, you want to make sure that you're going to have a mass said for you when you die. And you got to make sure, because so many kids don't go to mass today, and they have no sense of this, that they'll just put you in a box and have someone say a few words, and that's the end of you. Because they don't want to deal with death. But everyone who is Catholic must have a mass. It's the thing that'll get you. If you think you're going to just do it by yourself, you got to be kidding. It's the blood of Jesus that'll get you to heaven. So the perfect spilling of the blood of Jesus is at the mass. So to have one mass said for you and for your soul is very important, very, very important. So uh, if you're older, make sure you have that put on the cop of your will. Nothing else can be done unless you have a mass said for you. And uh, if you're younger, don't you ever just bury your parents without having a mass said for them. It's very important. Okay, so... And if you do go visit the cemetery, there are plenty of prayers. You just say prayers for the dead. There's plenty uh, online. You can, I think there's even one you just put online to visit the cemetery, and uh, there might be stuff there for you. Okay, let's go back here to the internet. Do, 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 do. How do you feel about applause during Holy Mass? No matter, no matter what the reason. <laughs> The Pope Benedict was pretty clear we should never applaud at Mass. Now, at the same time, I've had people, like, I'm not big on it at all. But if, like, I've done very strong uh, uh, pro-life homilies, where, like, if you ever want to hear me, you know, people don't think I'm strong anymore. People think I've become wimpy. All you got to do is put Father Larry Richards and the word enough in Google, and you will hear the strongest anti-abortion thing, thing, homily ever, and so at the end of that, and I said, enough, enough, enough. We can't stop killing our children. I curse as a priest of Jesus Christ. I curse Planned Parenthood and I bind them. And they're like, and so at the end, the people applauded standing ovation. Now, if they did that all the time because they just liked what the thing, we shouldn't be doing it. Pope Benedict said, don't be doing it. But I have seen people, it's, it's arise spontaneously. Now, the problem is, is like if it does, 
then people want to yell and scream at people and tell them how they're not able to do that. And all you're doing is judging everybody else. Well, the rules say, yes. But like once I was in, I was just talking about this yesterday, I was in the Holy Land and we were at the church of the uh, um, Transfiguration. And so when we got up there, there are Franciscans that take care of it. And there was a, you know, me and I was Deacon Harold, Burke Shivers, you know, Deacon Harold. And so I was the, the priest and I was the main celebrant and Deacon Harold was going to be my deacon. And we're getting vested in this little Polish priest come up, a young guy, much younger than me. I don't even think he was 30, maybe 35. I could have been, uh, I can't judge. I don't, I mean, not, I just I don't know. Anyway, it was a younger Franciscan. And he said, Father, I go, yes. And he goes, there is no laughing at church. And I said, huh? No laughing in church. Do you understand me? And I says, uh, yeah, but I, I've been a priest for 30 years and I've never, ever heard that. The joy of the Lord is our strength, says God. And he goes, no laughing. And so, of course, we kept the, uh, we had mass and we kept it as somber as ever. But then right after, I was getting people prepared for confession. And I usually make that uh, lighthearted so they not too afraid and again, I do that so people finally get rid of mortal sins. I've been doing this for 32 years. I know what I'm doing. Just trust me on this. Anyway, and so whatever I said once, people laughed at the end of Mass. Well, the priest is going nuts, screaming, yelling, going completely crazy. When I go back, he's yelling me all the way in. And usually, Deacon Harold thought I was going to explode because I have an explosive temper. And uh, I didn't, I didn't, and I just sat there and I says, are you a priest? Because he could have been a brother. Yes, I am. And I says, well, then I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And he rocked out the door, wouldn't look at me, wouldn't forgive me. True priest of Jesus Christ. But again, sometimes people just are so focused on rules, they're folk forgetting about people. And remember, Jesus was always focused on people. He ran from the Pharisees when they were saying, you can't do that. You can't carry that on the Sabbath. You can't do these things. So Absolutely, you should not be clapping at Mass. Sometimes if it happens spontaneously, you don't go crazy. You just say, you know, that shouldn't happen at Mass. Just so everybody knows, okay? So again, so it's part of like, yes, but you are completely right. Okay, let's go on. You said once a month. Did you mean once a week? I'm not sure what I was talking about there, Hope. There we go, once a month. I don't, I'm not sure what that is. How do you feel about yoga and things like Buddha statues in the home? I wouldn't have a Buddha statue in my home. I mean, again, you can find uh, pagans throughout the uh, Vatican Art Museum. <laughs> I was there, I was like, look at all these pagan statues. <laughs> so, I mean, it's right in the Vatican, pagan statues. They've been there for centuries, just so you know. Francis didn't put him in for all those people that say have pagan things. Just look at the Vatican uh, museums. Plenty of pagan statues. Uh, yoga, uh, John Paul II talked about that. Like Buddhism and yoga are, are not compatible with Christianity. That being said, you can do yoga exercises as long as it's not because the movements are not demonic as some people want to call it demonic. The exercise is fine. It's when you're getting into the theology or the spirituality of uh, yoga. Then when you're sitting there and let's say like pantheism, there's all kinds of stuff there that again, it's more Buddhist than it is Christian. 
Christian, we believe in a personal God, Jesus Christ, who came, and we can never achieve salvation without Jesus. We can't, like through Buddhism, work our way to nirvana or whatever it is. It's all done for us. That's called grace. So if you focus on the spirituality of yoga, you cannot participate in any way. If you're just doing the exercises, the exercises will kill you, some of them, you know, but it's still, you can do those things to calm you and all other kinds of stuff. So you just got to watch. Everything is, uh, again, you got to watch spirituality when things start creeping in like that. But no, you shouldn't have pagan statues. Buddha would be a pagan statue in your home in that. Uh, no, you shouldn't. Okay, that's about the simplest way. And that's where I'll stop so I don't get in trouble because people are already like, he said you can do yoga. I said you can do the exercises of yoga. You can't do yoga, the spirituality, the theology, all that that goes in it. But you can, you know, bend like all those things. It's okay. It's called exercise. That would be the thing here. Okay. Oh, here we go. The Old Testament. Yes, there's saints. There we go. How does the church know? This is from Gina. How does the church know if the visions from Fatima or others are of, from God and not Satan? Great question. This church has to always go through great discernment. You know, that's why usually it takes a long time. And, you know, again, the way we discern everything is what Jesus says. You can tell a tree by its fruit. So what is the fruit? of Fatima, Lourdes, Guadalupe, especially my favorite has to be Guadalupe because uh, they had child sacrifice and human sacrifice there, thousands and thousands of people every day. And then Our Lady appears and the sacrifices stopped. The fruit was unbelievable. Conversions, unbelievable. And so that's how the church does that, is what is the fruit? What was the life of the seers? All kinds of stuff. You know, like right now, the big one is Medjugorje. I've been to Medjugorje twice. I really like Medjugorje. Uh, but, uh, you know, you have some of the people, like Fatima people are like, no, that's wrong. It's all evil. Da, 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 we're being deceived. I get it. I get it. Everybody judges everybody else because it doesn't agree with them. So, and they'll give all the reasons. The church, Pope Francis is not a fan of Medjugorje. You know, um, but he hasn't made a pronouncement about it. And the church has not made a pronouncement. And it probably won't make a pronouncement for until many years from now. But again, what it does, it's going to look for the fruit. What is the fruit? But as I said before, that you do not need to believe in Fatima, Lords, Guadalupe, anything to get to heaven. The church has always taught that. You can believe in them. The church allows you to, but they're not necessary for salvation. Now, again, like when, like I say a rosary every day. Why? Because at Fatima, she came and said, say the rosary every day. So if the mother of God leaves heaven and comes to earth and tells me to do something, I'm going to do it because I love my mother. Huh? You know, it's not like I'm afraid. Oh, I got to do all these things again. <sighs> Fear is useless. What is needed is trust. I just want to know, as you are listening right now, are you a man or a woman who does everything out of fear? Fear of God, fear of damnation, fear of hell, fear of all the tribulations that are come upon us? Are you a man or a woman who do everything for love of God? Because God says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And John would later say, perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with ourselves and punishment. 
and a fearful person, if they do everything with God, it's a selfish reality. So what you got to do is you got to ask God to change your fear into love. And he will. But then you're going to have to get over yourself. You're going to have to be generous with your time, with your energy, with your prayer. And then slowly you'll fall into not being afraid. And God doesn't want you to be afraid. He says it again and again in his word. So I just want you to step back a second and say, do I do everything out of fear or do I do everything out of love? And if there's a little fear still there, ask God to purify it, and he will. Okay? So let's go back here. What is the significance of Simon of Cyrene being picked to carry the cross? I don't know if there's uh, any specific because it was him, but when he was doing that, it shows that we share in the sufferings of Christ, and it also shows that whenever we do something for the least of our brothers and sisters, we're doing it for Jesus. So when Simon picked that cross, and help study the cross of Jesus. He was doing that for the God of the universe. There are people all around us who are carrying heavy crosses. And when we help them, we help Jesus, right? And again, that's the, that's the hardest thing for us sometimes, is the easy see Jesus in a tabernacle, easy see Jesus in the church, hard to see Jesus in people we don't like. <laughs> Listen, I know very well you know, I'm, I'm preaching to me, uh, too, is what I'm talking about. So, again, it's just a way for us to participate in what Jesus did, okay? And there's all kinds of theology about that. Uh, we don't have a chance to get into it, but it's, uh, it's a good question. Thanks for asking it. Teresa, yay, hi, Father Larry. Quick question, during Mass, I have seen the communion antithon said before communion, others say it after communion. Is there a right time to say it? Well, just at my own parish, I've always said it after I've given that communion. Uh, the, uh, the new priest that's with me says it before. Traditionally, I think it's said before. I have, uh, the only reason to tell you the honest to good truth, why I do it, is uh, we didn't do it at all, uh, before the pandemic. And then during the pandemic, when I was doing all these uh, masses on uh, live streaming, I do it because there, I, it would be, I wouldn't have communion to give to everybody. So after I received the precious body and blood of Jesus, then I would say the communion antithon. And so then once we had the people back, and they had all these people there, I'd forget, and I'd have to say this. And so then I just got into the habit of saying it. But I, after really look at the rubrics to see if it has to be said before or after, I think it just be said during communion, so it really doesn't matter whether it's said right before or right after. I don't think, again, it might be one of the things I'm wrong on. I'll have to sit there and look at the rubric. And the rubric is the, the red that's in our sacramentary. It, like we're always taught, say the, pray the black, say the red, uh, do the red, pray the ba black, uh, do the red, which means it tells you what to do. But I don't know. Uh, but again, I've, I've done it both ways, and I think it's okay. But I could be wrong. Another one of those things could be. And just so you know, I'm going to have to get er done early today because... Um, can't stay all the way till four, just so you know. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
This is from some pagan named Chandler from St. Francis. And he says, so I was just wondering if you could just give me a brief explanation of what paganism is. Like, what is a pagan? And why are we all pagans? Why do you call us pagans? Thanks, God bless. Well, you know, Chandler, the truth might hurt. But anyway, a pagan is one, I always say, that just does things the natural way. They're not true disciples. They're not following Jesus the way they want to. I am a pagan a lot of times. So some people get offended. You know, you called me a pagan. I go, yeah, you still like to do things your way just like I do. And when you're doing things your way, that's what a pagan does. You know, so pagans were ones that used to just worship, uh, you know, the the trees and the forest and uh, you know, the water and everything else. That was a true pagan. Uh, but uh, it goes deeper than that. It's about living life your own way. And so we all do that. I've done it. You do it. So I don't call women pagans, just men. And again, part of it is an endearing term for me. You know, people get uh, crazy when I do that. Again, I have a negative humor. You know, my style, every, on my staff, everything else, they all have to get used to me that I'm always picking on people. You know, that's just uh, the way I learned to, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's just part of my style. And it's not, uh, it's usually, like I used to tell my boys, if I pick on you, that means I care about you. If I don't pick on you, that means that uh, I don't care for you at all because, you know, and I try to work beyond that. But again, so pagans are people that do things their way instead of God's way. And even I am a pagan a lot of times. So let's go on here. Okay. Hi, Father Larry. Can Christians of other faiths other than the Catholic faith get to heaven? Of course. You are my daily prayers. Again, where that comes from, George and Allison, is that the Vatican II came right out, and I, 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 uh, I've used to quote it. I know the, the number. I don't have it in front of me right now. But there's a thing that says, even an atheist, if they're not an atheist, if they are an atheist to no fault of their own, has hope of heaven. So Buddhists can go to heaven. Uh, Muslims can go to heaven. And when I say this, when I say this on EWTN, ah, the phones would light up and people would start screaming, oh, only Catholics can go to heaven. <laughs> don't tell a lot of good Protestants that. Again, the only reason I'm a Catholic is because Billy Graham, the Baptist, brought me to Jesus Christ. So, and then people sit there and say, I mean, how ignorant people are. Father Larry must be uh, a liar or he must be a crazy because no Protestant could bring someone to Jesus Christ. Are we really like this? Do people really think this? And they'll say, well, the saint says so. And yeah, saints said other things, the exact opposite, as a matter of fact. The God of the universe says, judge not. You know, he did. All the people that people thought were going to go to heaven, uh, he made them very clear. When he told the Pharisees they weren't going, they were offended because they did everything right. And then the first one we know to go to heaven is the good thief when he finally even stole heaven itself. It's all by grace. You and I got to get out of the judging game. And boy, again, another hot topic, someone will start immediately. We must judge. Who are you, Father? How dare you? And then again, I'd say it to you again and again. May God judge you forever the way you judge other people. Period. You got that? God says that's what's going to happen. The measure with which you measure will be measured back to you. That's Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So if you love to judge others, the exact same way may Almighty God now judge you forever.
you better think 50 times before you start judging everybody else. I'm not saying this, of course, to this person who asked this question. It's just an aside. We are not. Don't play games with, oh, it's, we have to judge actions. Yeah, start with your own. Start with your own, being judgmental and nasty and everything else. We are not called to be people of judgment. We are called to be people of love. And a lot of people might know your judgment, but very few people know your love. So your judgment will never convert anyone. It'll get you to hell and maybe get them to hell. It will not get either of you to heaven. That's truth. That's not leading people astray. That's what Jesus Christ said. Don't argue with me. You argue with Jesus. Read the scriptures. Know the scriptures. May God judge you the way, the very way you judge others. That's what Jesus said. And so we got to make sure where are we? Where are my, is my heart? Am I like Jesus or do I prove to be, I know better than Jesus. He told me not to judge, but at this circumstance, I'm called to judge. You're called to love. Sometimes that love is telling people where they're wrong, but don't, you can't tell people that unless they know you love them. Before God set, before God gave the 10 commandments, he first set his people free. That's the way God works. We need to help people, help people to know the love of Jesus so they'll stop sinning. It's all the same. I have tried both ways in my life. And the way of love always works better. And it's longer lasting. That's the truth. Okay? So, adoration of the Holy Sacrament in my area is limited to an hour once a month. What do you think of perpetual adoration live on YouTube? And is there any spiritual gain that we can receive from it? We always can be in a spiritual gain just by spending time with Jesus. But you also got to know that you can also pray with the Holy Word of God. There's a true presence there, different presence, of course, um, than the Eucharist, but still a very real presence. So you can spend an hour with Jesus in his word and really get to listen to him and know him, and that also counts. Like if there's a place you can just, I, I can't get to the Blessed Sacrament, Father, well, spend an hour in Scripture, you know, and just read it, listen to it. Spend more time until you know Jesus in the Gospels. Go back to what Jesus said, because we read all over. We'll go, and I have friends that spend so much time in the Old Testament, and that's all they preach. And you have other ones that will focus on certain letters uh, as long as it agrees with them. But Jesus almost never agrees with us. <laughs> That's the whole thing. You know, again, what did Jesus say about who's going to heaven or who's going to hell? What did he say? Read it, know it, because he's the one you and I will stand before in judgment. What did he say about taking care of the poor? What did Jesus say about uh, loving your enemies? What did Jesus say about forgiving other people? What did Jesus say? then do what Jesus Christ says, period. If Jesus says one thing and a saint says another, who should you follow? I'm not even going to answer that. If you don't know, please, you're not a true follower of Jesus. If I'm a slave of Jesus Christ, I do only what Jesus tells me to do because I'm his slave and I exist to please him. That's what we got to be doing, okay? 
So, I'll fast a couple more questions here. Okay. Thanks, Myla. Here we go. How do you recommend growing in holiness during seminary, especially prayer-wise? You do a holy hour. I always tell people, do a holy hour. But again, I would make sure you're reading scriptures every day. All my spirit directees in seminary, every morning they have to send me what God said to them every day in the scripture. So I send them a, a text in the morning, usually at 4.30 in the morning, uh, right after I'm done working out. And I'll sit there and say, Go pray the Holy Spirit, meet him in his word, open his word, read until God speaks to you, write it down, and then I want you to write it to me, and this is what I want you to focus on all day. So today, like two of the people sat there and made sure I was only sending two people today, so they sent me, they both, and they'd have to do it by a certain time, or I'll text them and I'll say, uh, what is your scripture? Did you listen to the world, the flesh, and the devil before you listen to God? So you gotta listen to God before you listen to the world, flesh, or the devil, or yourself. So always keep the Bible next to you. Before you get out of bed in the morning, turn a light on and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you his word. Open the word of God and slowly start reading till he takes a two by four and whacks you over the head. Stop, listen, respond. Put it on a piece of paper, put it in your pocket, and pull it out all day. This is what God said to you this morning. Like, I do this every day. Today, God said to me, it was in 1 John, the letter of John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, and it says, we need to participate in this holiness which is his. So again, God just said, Larry, I want you to be holy. That means I'm doing his will. And so if you do that every day, then you're going to get to know Jesus because before you listen to the world, the flesh, or the devil, or yourself, you listen to Jesus. And that's what prayer is. We listen to God, and he speaks to us. And I can't tell you how many people I talked to that didn't know that they can hear God's voice. The first place you always hear his voice is in the Scripture. And he'll reveal that to you when he gives you peace. So you want to grow more in love with Jesus. You spend time with him in the Blessed Sacrament. That's his physical presence. And in his words, so he can speak to you every day. And then you will be formed by Jesus himself. His words will form you. Whoa, that's the greatest thing. And we as priests or seminarians are called to be other Christ. And again, Sometimes we think Jesus was pious. There's nothing pious about Jesus Christ. Nothing. Read those scriptures. <laughs> he was far from pious. But he was the holiest person because he was God himself. So what does that mean? So what does that mean about how kind of life I live? I think of all things, Jesus was so real. When he in front of everybody told Peter to get him up behind, uh, get thee behind me, Satan, he called the first pope Satan. Can you imagine? You know, all these things, when you find how he dealt with people, how he dealt with the Pharisees, how he called people foxes. You know, he was very real, and yet he was God. There was nothing pious about him. So we just got to let him form us. So if you let him form you in his word, and you spend time with him, because we become like who we spend time with. I mean, again, as much as possible. So that's why, again, I have done a whole year since I was in seminary, and I entered seminary as a junior in high school. I'm a lifer. Holy hour is where all my power has always come from. God's from God, all God, all God, all God, nothing me. I'm a jerk. Everybody knows it. But I got to spend time, and he'll transform you.
okay? So that's the biggest thing. And we'll all pray for you, okay? Everybody, you got you to gotta pray for him. He's in seminary. I think he is. He talked about it, so we're going to see. Okay. Here we go. Yeah, that's from Gregory Marino, so pray for him. Hi, Michael. Father, I've spent the last year praying unceasingly for a miracle pregnancy. I've only found... Uh, I've only found peace after stopping these prayers and accepting adoption. Is it okay to stop praying or does it show a lack of faith? Again, what you always should pray for is God's will. But I can tell you that I've had people uh, told me that, Father, I had this girl crying. I uh, married her and uh, she was crying. They told, the doctor said she could not ever have children. And she's crying and crying. And she went and uh, started adoption. And I says, uh, I don't want you to spare her. And I gave her a miraculous medal. And I said, I want you to wear the miraculous medal. Pray for God's will. And she adopted this baby. But the week before they adopted the baby, she got pregnant. Can you imagine? Doctor said, well, that'll never happen again. So she went to adopt another baby. Yeah, she got pregnant two more times. Our lady can do great things in the miraculous medal. So I would get a miraculous medal. You and your husband or wife should wear one too and ask Our Lady to pray for you if it's the will of God that you are fruitful in physical fruitfulness, but adoption is the greatest thing we can do nowadays. What to give life to somebody else and to take care of someone who is in such need of that is one of the greatest unselfish acts you could ever do. So either way, but get a miraculous medal, keep it close to you, have it blessed, and keep it always on you, and you watch what Our Lady can do. Okay? I got to go. Thank you again for everybody who's, uh, who wrote in here. I'm sorry I couldn't get to all the questions there. If I missed you, I don't, go, I don't read these things, so I encourage you to take it and to mail it in to the reasonforourhope.org, and uh, we'll sit there and uh, we can put it in the uh, thing here, and we'll get to it uh, next week or the week after sometime in these uh, next weeks. Okay? Again, thank you so much for... Uh, being with me today, please pray for me. Uh, so I'm always faithful. I never do anything apart from the will of God. I just stay faithful and I do nothing to ever bring scandal on God or upon his church. The devil's already asked for me. So uh, Jesus, I know, is interceding for me. And there's great Carmelite nuns who are interceding for me. And I just beg you to and know that I'm praying for you every day, twice a day. And I'm fasting for you. And I ask you to please pray for me. Okay, the Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless, keep, and protect you. He who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Goodbye. <laughs>